Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in an era of stakeholder capitalism. Our host, Sir Rob Wainwright, talks with business leaders and experts about their experiences in charting a new direction towards commercial success and greater societal impact. Our special guest is Daniel Hanna, Global Head of Sustainable Finance at Standard Chartered Bank. He's responsible for developing new products and solutions, further incorporating ESG considerations into banking decisions, and identifying sustainable finance opportunities for clients. Daniel is an active member of various global initiatives in the finance and other sectors as he helps to advance the critical agenda of sustainability in the economy. Over to you. Great. Thank you, Rodney. Welcome back, listeners. A very warm welcome to you, Daniel. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, let's let's tap into your experience in this interesting field and, and start with, with this notion of sustainable finance, which we're hearing more and more about uh, in the business sector. Um, how do you define the term, Daniel? What does it, what does it mean to you, particularly you know, in, in the work that you're doing for a bank like Standard Chartered? Rob, well, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation to come and talk on your podcast. I'm, I'm really excited um, to talk through these issues with you. Um, and I think, I mean, in some ways, you've put your finger on one of the key issues, which are, in this space, I think we've not in the finance industry made it easy for people outside of the industry to understand sustainable finance. There is an alphabet soup of different definitions, acronyms, uh, standards um, that get thrown around. Um, and I actually think one of the big issues... Um, for how we really progress sustainable finance going forward is to create better transparency and standardization so that people um, really understand that. And I could give you a, probably a, a very long definition and I could refer to helpful things like, for example, the sustainable finance taxonomy that's been developed by the European Commission and the work that it's doing with the international platform sustainable finance around creating definitions and taxonomies for sustainable finance across the world. But actually, for me, it's a little bit simpler than that. Um, sustainable finance is finance that drives positive environmental, social or governance change or prevents those kind of ESG risks, environmental, social or governance risks. Ultimately, it comes down to trying to do some good with finance and ensuring that we minimise the harm that we are doing. And how do you do that then, Daniel? I mean, we, we might get into the detail of this a bit a bit later, but but you know, at your highest level, in trying to do what sounds like, you know, follow quite an ambitious agenda there, what are the big levers for change that, that you're seeing in the sector? Well, I think, first of all, it's, it's really important as an organisation that we have certain standards um, for how we go and carry out. And, and I think across the sort of those environmental, social and governance uh, metrics. Um, on the E, there's a lot of focus at the moment around obviously environmental issues. So it's the fact that we haven't financed any new coal-fired power for anywhere in the world for, for some time, that we've committed publicly to phasing out our, all our clients anywhere in the world, developed markets, emerging markets, from coal, thermal coal dependency and setting specific standards and in key industries like mining, manufacturing of what we will see as the minimum that um, we will... Uh, allow us to work with those clients or on the social issues, issues around human rights, modern slavery uh, and standards on, on financial crime and other governance standards as well. So these are the standards that the bank, you know, all our borrowing corporate clients have to go through to, to work with us. But I think it's also important as an institution that we ourselves walk that talk, if you like. So we've committed to being net zero in our operations by 2030 and then net zero in our financing. So the impacts that, you know, the biggest 
uh, lever that we as a bank have, which is the financing and investment activities that we do. We've committed that that will also be net zero by 2050, and we'll be putting out some more detail on that plan um, later this year. I mean, I think we would recognise that we've got a lot of work to do within Standard Chartered and across the industry. Um, but we're very much committed to driving, uh, using capital as a force for good and for driving change through financing and helping our clients uh, transition to a more low carbon and sustainable future. And it's interesting because I, I noticed also, Daniel, that you, you know, you're working I mean, at a bank like Standard Chartered, of course, it has a global reach, but, but you're also involved in, in a number of global initiatives, a steering group on sustainable development goals of the United Nations, for example. I mean, why are you involved in that? And, and, and then what do you see from that vantage point through the UN of, of, of what's happening across the world in this area? I mean, I think to, just to put it in, in context, um, you know, we need to mobilise probably about $3.8 trillion a year um, to help the world achieve global warming of no more than one and a half degrees. Um, and the funding gap to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which, if you like, is a, is a bit of a benchmark for ensuring, not just in terms of climate, but also in terms of creating a more uh, sustainable, equitable and prosperous uh, society and sort of eliminating or reducing poverty and inequality, improving health and economic outcomes across all markets, while at the same time moving to this low-carbon future. Um, the gap to financing the SDGs is about $2.5 trillion. So no, no one institution, no matter how big, um, can tackle this on its own. I think it, it very much requires collaboration across governments, regulators, um, the private sector and, and end consumers. Um, and I think within that scope, I think the, the UNDP's um, SDG impact, which, as you mentioned, I'm on the steering committee for, is trying to play a sort of uh, a, a key a catalytic role to really drive capital um, to the SDGs um, where it really matters in, in the emerging markets. Um, and I think it's, it's really important to just sort of, I think, take a step back and think about the country's most at risk from climate change also have the biggest opportunity to leapfrog uh, to low carbon technology in the way that, say, Africa leapfrogged to the mobile phone. Um, Asia is home to roughly about 80% of the world's population who may be flooded if there's a three degree rise in global temperature. While Africa actually at the moment has 19 coastal cities with the populations of more than 1 million that are, as of today, at risk from climate change. Yet the financing to support um, that shift to low carbon and supporting the SDGs, um, less than 60% of that is available across uh, low and middle income countries. In Africa, this is as low as 10%. So we really need to see a significant change here. And um, the UNDSG impact is trying to tackle that through A, setting standards. Um, so setting the standards for things like private equity that support sustainable development goals, um, providing intelligence. Um, so it's working to bring together opportunity maps for particular countries that show how you can invest and support the SDGs at the same time. And then sort of facilitating that combination of the public and private to, to bring it together. And certainly from Standard Charter's perspective, we, we published a piece of research last year called Opportunity 2030, looking at these SDGs. We see a $10 trillion investment opportunity for investors um, across these key SDGs in just 15 markets. So I think in this space, there's a need and also a really significant opportunity. Um, and that's at the heart of sustainable finance to try and bring those two things together. Yeah, I noticed those sort of figures, 10 or $12 trillion, you know, they, they were drawn up at the time of SDGs as well as 
you're making the point that there is an enormous investment opportunity, as you say, uh, at the same time, you know, creating hundreds of millions of new jobs. So, so the economic financial incentives seem very significant. So, so is this a sort of a pipeline blockage issue? What, what is it? Because if the investment incentive is so high, why, why are we still struggling to get sustainable finance through the door? I mean, I think it's, it is definitely a multifaceted issue across, as you say, you know, is the pipeline there encouraging capital to move to, to new markets? We, we did a survey of the top investors that between them have $50 trillion of assets under management. Um, and there, it, it showed that there was still a significant gap to aligning to the SDGs. And actually, if you look at the amount focused uh, on emerging markets within that, it was sort of less than 20%. So we have, a, you know, clearly a lot of work to do. Um, at the same time, I think we all recognise that there's been this tremendous growth in sustainable finance, which has been probably one of the, if you like, silver linings of, of what has been a challenging 12 to 18 months for, for, for all of us and for, for certain particular people in particular that have suffered from, obviously, the COVID crisis. Um, so I think there's some positive momentum. The question to your, to your point is, OK, well, how do we really sort of move the needle on this going forward? And I think it comes down to three things. I think, one, we need to catalyse. Two, we need to standardise. And three, we need to democratise sustainable finance. And I think we talked about catalyzation already. There's a lot more capital that needs to be done. I think investor interest is growing. Um, so how do we match that investor interest with um, the, the need? And I think part of that comes through product innovation um, from banks and other financial parties to try and bring those two things together. And, and if you like, I, I try and boil this down simply into two things. One, we need the success of the green bonds to turn into a thousand coloured shades of green, I think in Mark Carney's words. And two, we need green to become a rainbow. Um, so let me just explain those two things. One, I think really the big gap now, I think we've seen the success of green financing is we need to develop this transition financing. So rather than just supporting green companies raise more or green projects, how do we help companies that may be sort of defined as brown transition to better low carbon business models? Um, and a good example of that may be the, the first transition bond we did for an airline for Etihad last year, um, the first in, in, in the market. And, and really what this was a really innovative structure that allowed Etihad to invest in things like electrifying its ground fleet, investing in sustainable aviation fuel, um, but also set some KPIs within that bond where if they didn't hit certain targets around things like reducing emissions, they then effectively had to go and buy um, some offsets. So developing this sort of transition set of uh, products, I think, is going to be really key. So these thousand shades of green, if you like. And then the second thing is 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 the rainbow effect. Um, I think green bonds are great, but we also need blue bonds. We need orange bonds. Um, we did the one of the first sort of orange bonds to support um, uh, equality. Um, this was targeted at um, 250,000 women across South Asia to move from subsistence living to sustainable living, working with IIX, um, for example. Or we did the first blue bond with the Republic of Seychelles, the World Bank and um, the Nature Conservatory and, and many others about creating a sustainable ocean economy around the Seychelles. So we need to take the technology that we've been developing in the financial world and then apply it to some of these other problems. Um, then I think we need to standardise. I, I think one of the biggest obstacles to raising more sustainable finance is the lack of transparency and information, this myriad of standards and conflicting definitions. So standardisation helps markets grow. That's why we put out an annual impact report so you can see the link of our financing to the SDGs and the impact that has in terms of saving carbon or, or for example, giving people access to clean water for the first time. 
I mean, all of that makes makes sense, Daniel. And you talk about the sort of the rainbow colours. Is the rainbow colours, of course, of seventeen different SDG goals? They they, they cover a, a broad range of interest here. When you gave the example of Etihad Airways and the transition to um, a greener way of doing business, I just wondered to what extent, you know, broader across the industry, you know, there's still a real challenge to, to get into the minds of, of senior executives that this really is a big investment opportunity, that this is really is about making profit and not just about doing the right thing. So that the alignment of purpose and profit, is it there? Is it, I mean, you talk about it, investor interests certainly being there now is it being translated into the kind of high level executive buy-in that we need i mean i think at the moment in any board across almost any country in the planet at the moment i think other than sort of dealing with the immediate after impacts of, of of the sort of shock that we've gone through with the pandemic um sustainability and probably digital are now the two topics that absolutely dominate every conversation so i, I think absolutely now there is that awareness at a board level both i think uh, frankly of the risk presented by um climate change um and also the opportunity in terms of transitioning to to low carbon technology and businesses, um, and the pressure that's building from regulators and shareholders and consumers, um, and I think it's it's really interesting. There's very few topics where you get a complete alignment across almost all your stakeholders. That the industries um, and governments, we all need to do more in in this space. So I, I think it's there. I think the the sort of the, if you like, in some ways, we kind of know the immediate next steps, right? So we know that we need to, you know, electrify what we can and then power as much as possible through renewables. And the positive change that we've seen over the last decade is that now renewables are effectively grid parity and certainly will be over the next couple of years in almost every country in the world. So powering um, through renewables um, is, is, is really a key part. Now, obviously, we've got to tackle um, some of the technical details are around that as well in terms of you know consistency to the grid and everything else, but that's becoming a huge thing. The, the difficult space now is, is what's these areas called hard-to-abate sectors, where if you look at, let's say, steel manufacturing, a key component of the global economy, um, all of us will probably touch some part of something that's been involved in steel manufacturing probably every day, yet that process, steel manufacturing, generates three times the amount of emissions that the global mining industry has. So how do we take that and effectively transition that to a low-carbon business model? Well, it's going to require investment up front. It's going to require um, switching to new types of furnaces. It's going to require you know, a greater dependency on the circular economy. And ultimately, it will require hydrogen. But that will require regulators, financiers, consumers, um, all and producers all coming together to create that plan, which is one of the reasons why we, we are publishing this year um, you know, our view of the transition roadmaps of these key industries and how we want to support that movement. But I think that's where the focus needs to be now is how do we tackle these kind of hard-to-abate sectors uh, and then really unlock that next level of sort of technological and um, uh, financial um, and sort of um, uh, private sector growth. Well, it's great to hear the progress that you're making and that you're moving on to even even bigger challenges now. At the same time, you know, there's a lot of talk about greenwashing, you know, a term that describes a company spending more time and effort talking about a sustainability agenda and perhaps not enough on the doing part. Is this really a feature? Is it still a challenge in the sector? How do you see that, Daniel? 
I, I mean, I think greenwashing is a, is absolutely a very critical challenge for for the industry, and I think it definitely uh, is one of the the big impediments that we need to to actively tackle collectively. Um, certainly, at Standard Chartered, we take this incredibly seriously. We have a separate committee, effectively, that, that looks at any uh, new product that we say is green or sustainable, and actually vets that it's really having the impact. Um, that it, it's saying that it does. Um, and I think this is going to just become a more and more important issue. I think fundamentally the way that we need to tackle it is is by really creating a very clear set of standards and providing transparency uh, and information around that. And, and I think you've seen regulators move in this space. So, for example, the European Commission put out this um, sustainable finance taxonomy, um, which sort of helpfully tries to pull this all together from very much from a European perspective. They're now trying to internationalise that through the... IPSF, the International Platform for Sustainable Finance. But also, I think you can look at other markets, whether it's in the green bond principles that really help set the standards and then would catalyze the growth of the green bond market. Or um, at the moment, we're working on the sort of voluntary carbon markets. Um, so we're, uh, my CEO, Bill Winters, is chairing something called the Task Force Scaling Voluntary Carbon Markets ahead of COP. Um, and really, that's about we need to see a significant shift, as, as we just talked about, of transitioning these hard-to-abate sectors. But that will take time, and I'm not sure we have time. So in the meantime, we need to have a credible offset market. Um, we need one that's effective, credible, and transparent. And the reality is the offset market at the moment isn't. It's over-the-counter. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of issues and concerns around it. And so really setting out what are clear, transparent set of standards and a market infrastructure around it will hopefully, A, encourage people to use it to offset the impact that they can't reduce today, um, and then also set a clear set of frameworks and standards that can be used in a multitude of different other products. So I think this issue around standardization um, and transparency are absolutely critical. It's, it's good to hear that here in Europe we are setting certain global benchmarks. Um, let me finish, Daniel, on... I just want to ask finally about, about your, your particular role and those... Uh, in similar positions in, in, in the finance sector, um, helping to be a focal point for sustainability and sustainable financing. How, how is that trend going? And, and, and what have you seen that, that really makes it work? I mean, I, I think it's certainly accelerating. I, I think all boards everywhere are very focused on this issue around sustainability. And I think the, the regulatory focus on this is, is increasing. I think the shareholder process is increasing. I think we've seen a five-fold increase in regulations related to ESG over the last, say, five, seven years. Um, half of the shareholder resolutions um, in the US over the last sort of 18 months have been related to environment um, topics as well. So, so certainly, I think there's a big focus. And I think actually Deloitte put out a very interesting report about the future of the chief sustainability officer. Um, and I think the fact that these, uh, this role is now being created and roles like mine in sustainable finance shows you that organizations really want to put a sort of um, institution-wide approach to this, um, both in terms of how they are thinking it from their own perspective, but also how they're then interacting with their clients and consumers and other key stakeholders. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely one that is accelerating. Um, and I think, you know, in increasingly, particularly within the finance space, we may stop talking about sustainable finance and really then just focus around finance that is sustainable. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, any quick glance at that report that you referenced shows that insofar as it surveyed the, the finance sector shows, proves the point you just made, actually, the sustainability alongside digital is the key driver for for the sector right now. Well, Daniel, we've run out of time. You've given us a, a fantastic uh, look at the terrain of sustainable finance um, in, in, in this sector. Thank you 
so much for joining us. It's, it's so encouraging to hear the progress that's being made and and that you're moving on to the next challenge of, of the real harder places to crack. So I, I wish you every success with that. Described by some as the crisis of our generation, sustainability is rapidly becoming the defining issue for business. Sitting at the heart of that, as we seek to reverse the erosion of our economic, social and environmental capital, is the financial services industry. Banks and others in this industry have a unique perspective on the risks and opportunities involved, of mobilising investment and a sense of purpose to drive meaningful change in the economy. For a growing number of those firms, the appointment of a Chief Sustainability Officer has turbocharged efforts in this space, in doing so, a disruption of business practices and new innovations are paving the way to a more sustainable and prosperous future. For this industry, for the economy as a whole and society at large. Overcoming perceptions of greenwashing, taking the challenge to the toughest corners of industry and winning the full-throated support of boards and the CEO are among the challenges these new leaders face. But the direction of travel seems well set, with the business sector now more fully energised on the sustainability agenda than at any time in the past. Charting the way to a future of responsible business for the financial sector, a focus on sustainable financing is here to stay. Thanks for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll tune in to our next episode. Review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using, and find out more on Deloitte.nl.